Deep left into the bleachers. A two-run homer. A swing and a miss. Ball game. Liftoff. And history marches on. 22 consecutive wins. From the sports desk of the Akron Beacon Journal and Ohio.com, this is Leading Off with Ryan Lewis, a podcast on Cleveland baseball. Santana makes the catch. Ball game. The Indians have won the American League pennant. The Cleveland Indians are going to the World Series. Now, Ryan Lewis and Ashley Fastock. Welcome to Leading Off, a podcast on Cleveland baseball. I'm Ashley Bastock, here with our beat writer at the Beacon Journal, Ryan Lewis. Uh, so, fun story, Cesar Hernandez, there's a report out there that he's going to be heading to the White Sox, and that happened right as we were about to step on to record this podcast. Uh, so, just some quick hits on his stat line. He's slashing 231, 307, 431 with 18 homers so far this year. And obviously, Ryan, you wrote a little bit about this in the lead up to this deadline here. But obviously, Cleveland has a surplus of middle infielders. So what does this mean broadly for Cleveland? Uh, you know, I think it means primarily, um, you know, that Cesar Hernandez was not the long-term answer at second base. He's one of the few players on the roster who's uh, not under club control beyond next season. He had a club option for 2022. So he's one of really the only guys that wasn't controllable, um, uh, you know, for a, a longer period of time. And, you know, that's kind of been their goal is it's to, it's to try to compete today while at the same time setting up tomorrow and kind of realigning resources as, as best they can with 2022 and 2023 and 2024 and 2025 in mind and beyond. Um, and, you know, looking at Cleveland's infield and kind of the, the future and outlook and, and, and picture, uh, you know, there's a chance that Nolan Jones plays part of that. And, you know, there's also a chance that Nolan Jones, um, you know, next season could factor into the outfield. But it's possible that, you know, they could stick him uh, at third base, which is the position that he's played the most recently in the minor leagues. Uh, you know, they have been moving him around trying to, uh, you know, kind of gain some defensive flexibility with him. Uh, but, Nolan Jones as the club's, you know, top prospect, uh, uh, could factor into that picture. Uh, the team has been willing to move Jose Ramirez across the diamond before. The only thing is they're okay with him being at third. They're okay with him being at second. They just don't want him to be switching back and forth too much, basically. Um, if, they, if, if he is to move to second base, that's where they want, they want him to stay for a longer period of time. Um, and then you have uh, Andres Jimenez, who was a key part of the Francisco Lindor trade. He's currently in AAA. Uh, the team's been working on him with his swing, specifically the, the step in his swing, and, and they've been seeing it if, if they can adjust that and, and uh, what benefits that might bring. But uh, Andres Jimenez, uh, to a, a large extent, was a, a crucial part to that deal. And, you know, he could also play a factor in, in, in Cleveland's future infield. And so this is really about aligning those resources. Um, I know that, you know, dealing Hernandez to the White Sox, uh, now will not be seen by a lot of fans as, as something that, that they were looking forward to for sure. Um, but it's a deal with the larger picture in mind involved and getting the best prospect possible. Um, in return for one of the few players uh, that was under shorter long-term control. 
this has not been confirmed yet by either club. Obviously, there are reports of it out there and multiple confirmations. But point being, we're not say we're not going into a discussion of what Cleveland got for Cesar Hernandez. We're recording this at around noon on Thursday, July 29th, uh, just because it's not official yet. So keep a look out for Ryan's reporting on that ultimately. And again, as we talked about, the the trade deadline here is tomorrow, July 30th. Ryan wrote this really extensive story that is on BeaconJournal.com uh, on Cleveland's situation at the deadline. So before he has to run away to tend to more news, let's try to get through this podcast without an interruption. That's the goal here today. Um, so let's just dive right in. Cleveland's trade deadline situation you wrote about is more complicated than buy or sell. And it's just never really been in recent years how this team operates. And I think we've seen it time and time again. And you use the 2017 deadline when they acquired Jay Bruce and Joe Smith as one example that about how they're pretty good at balancing contending now versus selling the future away totally. Yeah, I mean, there, there are different types of trades that can be made at the deadline that could be seen as buying, um, but they're, they're certainly not all the same. For example, looking at that 2017 deadline with Joe Smith and Jay Bruce, those are shorter term, you know, kind of rental acquisitions that also won't cost quite as much in terms of prospect, uh, you know, value. Um, there are some huge names that are on the trade market who will be free agents at the end of the year that are going to cost a ton. And, uh, you know, that's, that, that just really isn't the type of deal, you know, that Cleveland is going to make. For example, at the 2016, uh, trade deadline, uh, Cleveland acquires Andrew Miller. That is an aggressive deal. That cost quite a bit in terms of the, the prospect package that Cleveland had to send New York. I was going to say that, not to cut you off there, but I was going to say that the Andrew Miller deal is the one deal, I think, in recent years where they, they really were super aggressive one way exactly. or the other. And that, that's the prime example. And obviously funny because he just pitched here yesterday again for the Cardinals. Correct. Yeah, exactly. And but that that Miller trade was made possible because he had several years of control, even though he was making nine million a year. and He was a little more expensive. He was going to be with the team for several seasons. So that's kind of the difference between a Miller deal and a Jay Bruce deal. Obviously, they're also you know different values of players. But, you know, if Cleveland is going to make a huge splash at at the trade deadline, not just this year, but really in the next few years, if make a huge aggressive splash it's really good it's probably most likely going to be for a player who is under club control now that means that that player's value is sky high and it's going to cost a lot trying to get um, a a brian reynolds from pittsburgh a cedric mullins from baltimore those guys are i I believe i'm pretty sure both under club control through 2025 now now that i'm saying it i I, i'm i don't want to get different guys situations confused but (laughs) Both of those guys are very talented outfielders. They've had success at the major league level, and they're under club control. What that basically means is those teams don't really need to trade them right now. Those teams aren't going to lose a lot of value by not trading them right now. So it's going to cost a lot. That being said, you know, as as you referenced at at, at the top, you know, Cleveland does has have a surplus of middle infield prospects. That doesn't mean that you know you automatically you know, deal a few of those guys because you never know what's going to happen with player progression as they make their way through the minor leagues. But it does afford you maybe a little more flexibility to be somewhat aggressive. But being aggressive for the way that this front office has to operate and for the way that they have operated, being aggressive might not even necessarily mean 
the primary focus is 2021. It might mean it's on setting up the outfield outlook in 22 and 23 and 24 and whatever. Um, so it, it, it's really balancing some different goals to where Cleveland's probably not going to ever be 100% buyers as we have traditionally thought of it. That's, that's kind of changed. And that's changed for the most part across baseball for a lot of teams, but Cleveland especially is in that group where it's, it, it's balancing different ideals kind of at the same time. And it's not just setting up 2021. It's answering questions that they know they're going to have down the road. Yeah. And you know, who then might be on Cleveland's radar? Uh, because, of course, you know, if you're a fan and you've watched this team, you already know the outfield has been one of, if not the biggest roster roster is, issue, not only this season, but the past few seasons. And obviously that situation got a lot more complicated with an injury to a guy like Josh Naylor, uh, who's going to be out for, for a while. Yeah, I mean, that's why almost any outfielder who's under club control across baseball could be a potential target. I mean, I, I mentioned uh, Reynolds and Mullins. Um, you know, there, there are certainly other options out there. Um, but Cleveland's outfield picture heading into opening day 2022 um, is extremely fluid right now. Eddie Rosario is a free agent after this season. Uh, there's no yet clear indication that Josh Naylor will even be ready for opening day yet. We, we don't know. There, a timetable, a clearer timetable has not yet been released following his surgery, but there was a lot of damage there. It wasn't just the multiple, uh, fractures. It was the ligament damage. Um, there was a lot that, that Josh Naylor has to deal with. So in terms of opening day 2022, you know, right now in-house options, you're looking at Bradley Zimmer and Oscar Mercado. Uh, Harold Ramirez, um, Daniel Johnson, you know, there's, that's a lot of, a lot of question marks without a lot of track record, basically. Um, so that, that's certainly the area, um, you know, that Cleveland could look to address, um, not only at, at the trade deadline now, but potentially in free agency as a, a you know, it's possible to get a, a, a shorter term, you know, almost like a stopgap, which is kind of what Cesar Hernandez was. But again, the point being is it's not that Cleveland will never go for the shorter uh, rental term player. It's just that when we talk about X value, you know, you, you only have so many assets with which to build the trade and the, the higher cost rentals will probably not be making their way to Cleveland. That That's kind of the point. Well, and two, the other issue, and I know you wrote about this and it's obviously a moot point. Now I literally, as we're sitting here recording, got the, got the alert that the Yankees have officially acquired uh, Joey Gallo, but you look at these more expensive players like that, and Cleveland is just not going to be able to outspend some of these other teams for these really sought after guys at at the deadline, no matter what their position is. Yeah, and it's just it, it, it's how they've operated. It's why they've they've brought in so many guys, um, and it's why it was so key. You know, when Cleveland hit on Austin Jackson a couple years ago, and they got a you know a, a really nice season out of him, that's crucial for for a team that's trying to. Um, not only operate like Cleveland does, but contend like Cleveland does and, and, and build a, um, uh, a sustainable contention window, um, that, that, that they've tried to do and they've tried to extend. Um, and so it, it's those types of trades, um, that will kind of make the most sense. And again, it, just to use the example again, you know, at, at different deadlines in the past, they have, they've acquired some, some players to help in some neat, in some needed positions. But they're not going to be the the top names that are going to cost uh, you know Cleveland down the road. Um, you know, they're always going to be very aware and very cognizant 
of the cost uh, and and what it might cost not only now but in 2025 or 2026, way down the road. Um, so those are the, those are things that Chris Antonetti and Mike Turnoff are always having to balance, and it's that's a difficult balance to find. Um, you know, they managed to do it uh, to a, a, a pretty high extent, um, but you know that's the difference between an Andrew Miller trade where he has a couple of years of control and Cleveland was okay giving up a Clint Frazier and a Justice Sheffield um, compared to a A.J. Bruce or a, a Joe Smith acquisition, which is meant to to help in a position of need without, you know, costing, you know, a, a, an arm and a leg uh, in, in prospect value. And so Cleveland's always kind of having to, having to protect those long-term interests. And now the kind of last big point that you wrote about in this story, and obviously Ryan goes into much more depth than we're going to have time to get into on here. So go check that out uh, on BeaconJournal.com. But uh, a question that will probably pain fans to even hear asked or pondered or talked about is, could Jose Ramirez be dealt? It has to be considered possible, even if it's it's not too likely, but it everything is possible. Chris Antonetti and Mike Chernoff pretty much always have to answer the phone, at least. That's how Cleveland has to operate. They have to be open to the idea of everything. Doesn't mean the trigger's going to be pulled, but the idea of it has to pretty much be considered. It's a trade that would require a mammoth prospect value. And and when I say prospect, that, that could also mean, uh, you know, a, a major leaguer who's, you know, who still has, you know, five years of control or so. Um, but a younger player prospect value because Jose Ramirez is under control for the next couple seasons, 2021 compared to his market value. He is unbelievably underpriced um, for, for his level of production. He remains one of the best values in baseball um, for his contract. Uh, he's remained one of the, except for that extended slump, um, which was a, a serious issue outside of that. He's been one of the most consistent players in baseball. Um, he's, he's racked up MVP finalist seasons. Uh, he's, he's continued to hit at a very high level. He hasn't really slowed down. It's, it's always possible as Cleveland continually kind of, um, I'm not sure what, what the best word is, but just realign as they try to realign these resources as best they can to try to contend for as long as they can. It, it seems unlikely that a, a team would, you know, part with the type of value that Cleveland would demand in that trade. Plus, it remains possible that an extension could be reached to keep Jose Ramirez in Cleveland past, you know, 2023. Um, so if th- those extension talks are exhausted at some point, then it becomes much more possible that a Jose Ramirez trade could happen. It's possible now. It's possible within the next 27 hours and 49 minutes until the deadline, you know, as of this moment, until the deadline passes. That would be a, a significant trade that uh, severely alters, um, you know, probably several different, you know, outlooks. As of now, it's it everything has to be possible all the time is is probably the mindset that has to be taken here, um, even if something isn't quite likely, just because his value will be just sky high. Um, you know, this isn't this isn't yet a, situ- a Francisco Lindor situation where he's absolutely going to walk. There, there's, there's a little more time and there's a little more flexibility and a little more chance potentially of an extension, uh, since Cleveland's payroll has essentially been wiped clean, um, you know, past, past, really past this season. Um, you know, there's just, there's so little money on the books, um, that, you know, keeping, keeping Ramirez, uh, remains possible. 
And again, we are recording this on Thursday, July 29th. The deadline is tomorrow, July 30th. So I'm sure we'll have more to talk about uh, when we record next week. But on to some non-deadline news since the last time we recorded. The biggest maybe news item is the fact that there is a new team name following the 2021 season. The club will officially go by the name the Cleveland Guardians, but you probably know that by now. And obviously at the Beacon Journal, we had a a ton of stories you can read about that. I think we covered it from just about every angle imaginable. But I want to talk about the follow-up piece you wrote the following day that just gave a little bit more insight into the process of how this name was chosen ultimately, um, what we know, what we don't know. So uh, just talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so one thing that Paul Dolan talked about uh, that Brian Barron, who was involved in the process, talked about um, was that as as they sought feedback from the fan base and, you know, they, they said that they interviewed, uh, you know, roughly 40,000 fans. One thing um, that kind of became clear to them uh, was a goal of continuity um, in terms of not only picking the team name, but how they designed uh, the uniforms, how they designed logos, things like that. Um, so continuity, uh, became pretty integral, uh, to how they went about designing the uniforms where if you weren't aware that they had changed the team name and just happened to go to a game next season and you were like living in Antarctica for six months or something, you might not tell for a couple innings because the, the script is different, but it's the, it's the same style of uniform. The C is different. Um, but it, it's, it's relatively similar. Um, things like that where continuity kind of became important and guardians came about, um, because the team said, you know, from the beginning that, um, a tradition with, you know, Cleveland and kind of a, a represent, a representation of the community, uh, were important elements that, that they wanted to have, uh, you know, in the team name, in everything that they did. Um, and so guardians was kind of the balance of a lot of that. Um, and they're also, you know, there are all these, uh, you know, legal, uh, issue, uh, with trademark and, and, and everything that, that goes into trying to select a name that I, I think, uh, you know, a lot of people just wouldn't really think of because until you get into it, you know, things just all these different issues pop up in terms of trying to select a name. So, um, but Cleveland did this process relatively quickly. You know, they announced that they were going to change their name, uh, well after, uh, the Washington football team did and Washington, uh, has yet to select a name or announce anything like that. Um, so this process came about relatively quickly compared, um, or at least comparatively. So, the, you know, the Guardians was a balance of the community, the tradition, those elements that they wanted, and then the continuity with the uniforms, um, where everything's like relatively similar in terms of the broad, you know, look of, of how things will remain. The color scheme is remaining. So now that, you know, most of what's left is, the uh, the massive construction that will undertake progressive field because when you do when you start to think about it and you see every every C and every logo and every every team name everything that's there scoreboard um, the there, yeah there's a ton to 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 change you know especially the the script team name that's above the scoreboard which um, Paul Dolan joked that he doesn't think that that would fit in his uh, basement so he's not really sure where that's going to go. Or, or, or what they'll do with it or, or where it's going to end up. But, um, if they're going to keep the DNs the same, <laughs> I know it's not the same logo, but I was laughing thinking about that. I'm like, well, they just have to get rid of the first two letters, kind of take a saw, cut it off and get the G U A R up there. Yeah. I mean, I, 
it it became clear that some form of continuity was important while at the same time they recognized a need to change the name and so this was kind of the the balance of of all of those goals um personally i don't mind guardians i don't i don't think it was clear that there wasn't one name that was universally loved or the clear answer for me i'm definitely afraid of spiders and i have been my entire life like i get i get chills up my spine just saying the word so for me, it was just anything but spiders, please, for the love of God, because I couldn't imagine going my whole life being afraid of spiders and then having to type it like 10,000 times a season. Well, the the true Cleveland spiders are the ones that build the webs in front of the Beacon Journal seats specifically for you in the press box, because oh, there's so there many. were, as, well, Ryan knows this, obviously, I was there on Friday night for the game against the Rays after all of this had happened, and there were not one, not two, but three spider webs in front of my seat. And I don't know where the third spider was, but I did see two of them and thought about asking the one, as I tweeted, for a comment on the name change to Guardians and not Spiders, but I didn't. I am, in fact, a chicken. And just to get down to the numbers, though, a little bit, there were 1,198 possibilities name possibilities that went through a 14 round vetting process. Um, and you did touch on it. I think the thing that is lost in all of this is how hard it is with trademarks and licensing things and this legal side of things, which again, I think you did a good job of outlining um, that some names just were not going to be possible that fans may have liked that may have been your favorite. If you're listening to this podcast and ultimately the reason they could didn't go with it is that it might not have cleared. Um, so this is the option that, you know, fit all those things. And they they could ultimately get through that extensive process as well. Yeah. And to be clear, those, you know, those details about which name might have been affected or, or which those aren't official. Those have not been released or anything. It's just in general, um, you know, it, it's always possible that name X may not be possible compared to name Y, or there may be differences in, in, in how that process works out. Um, so, you know, there, there aren't really details about, you know, what finished second and what finished third. Uh, the spider's name was mentioned. Uh, the Buckeyes were mentioned um, as at least a possibility. Uh, again, we don't know what, what finished second, third, fourth, fifth. We don't know how close certain names got. We just know which names were mentioned officially throughout the process um and you know as we talked with Brian Barron and, and and Paul Dolan after the announcement um so we don't know how seriously those names were considered but obviously those were you know among the favorites thrown out by fans um and yeah there there are always just different situations that are going to pop up when you go through any process that has any you know legal bearing or legal element to it um but you know guardians worked out um and you know as now that now that it's been announced you know they're Again, the, the main part that's left is, is the construction once the season's over. Moving on here to Shane Bieber, who has been progressing slower than the team had hoped. Uh, Bieber has been on the injured list since June 14th with a shoulder strain. He's done some light throwing but hasn't yet progressed to the mound, meaning he's still likely several weeks away from returning to a game action, essentially. And you wrote about that move to the 60-day IL is really just a roster thing. Like, it's not impacting his timeline necessarily, right? That's my understanding of it. Yeah, that move was more just procedural. 
you know, like like that roster move in and of itself doesn't necessarily mean anything for his time frame. That being said, he has progressed slower uh, than what kind of the team had hoped. Um, Chris Antonetti mentioned that it's still within like the window of, you know, what was, uh, you know, essentially expected. But as of now, you know, progress has been slow. And, um, you know, as Cleveland looks to hopefully contend, uh, whether it be in the division, which is, is looking like a very difficult proposition where Cleveland's certainly not, you know, buried um, by, by any means at the moment, but their playoff, their playoff odds are uh, straining, let's say. And, um, you know, if you look at different projections, uh, the, Cleveland's playoff odds are are quite low, uh, and and it's it's in part due to the pitching injuries and and the pitching, you know, track record and depth that's there, and the fact that Shane Bieber, um, you know, he, he Carl Willis mentioned that he hasn't he didn't throw for a couple of days after throwing for a few days uh, in a row, and that they wanted to kind of limit uh, kind of his his exposure to that so that he's not throwing too much. But it, that that progress has been slow with Shane Bieber, and that's that's a key element to anything resembling Cleveland's playoff hopes because um, they, they desperately need, uh, you know, that, that kind of ace back, that Cy Young contender back, Cy Young winner last year, Cy Young, Cy Young contender this year. So he's he's still a few weeks away, and a few might even be, um, you know, optimistic um, at this point. Um, there, there clearly has not been the kind of the progress that they have kind of wanted to. And, you know, at this point, there are two months, roughly two months left in the season, um, so realistically, he's only looking at likely a few, maybe a handful of starts, whatever that means. Um, that's if there aren't any setbacks. That's with them having to be careful because he's one of the most important players in any organization across baseball and, you know, certainly in Cleveland. So the team, you know, is not going to rush him back. They're not going to risk his long-term health for an extra start or two in 2021. You know, you have to think about 2024, you know. Um before that happens. So with, you know, Shane Bieber, the progress has been kind of slower than, than what they've wanted. And, you know, at this point, that's, that's a, a, a key element kind of in their playoff hopes. And moving on to yesterday's game, Fran Mill Reyes keeps getting closer and closer to that scoreboard, folks. Uh, yesterday, he hit a home run clear out of progressive field over the home run porch and almost hit a passing bicyclist outside in that plaza there. And I know Ryan, you wrote about that in your, in your walk-off thoughts, I think. Yeah, he's getting closer. Um, <laughs> Kyle Quantrall said a few weeks ago that it's only a matter of time. And that's looking more and more like an accurate statement. I mean, the ball left progressive field in a pretty literal way, like from like the legal <laughs> boundaries of the stadium and like the zoning, whatever it left that. And it, um, you know, it hit off, uh, kind of the walkway that's above and behind the home run porch. It bounced into the gateway plaza. And kind of the funny thing, and Fran Reyes, he's, he's mentioned this before, but when he, when he hits a big home run, which is becoming common for him, when he hits a home run like that, he, he likes to go back and, and watch the different replays, but it's not to watch, well, it's not just to watch his swing or, the pitcher or uh, the pitch location. It's also to watch the dugout's reaction. And he just likes seeing that. And yesterday he put both hands on, on, on the back of his head. Like, like, like you just can't believe it. Like that was the, the response uh, that he saw from teammates when, when he watched it back on his iPad. Um, but, you know, considering it's, it's the trade deadline, I think it's fitting just to kind of point out that 
you know, Cleveland traded essentially 1.5 seasons of Trevor Bauer for Fanmuel Reyes and Logan Allen and Yasiel Puig and, and several others. Um, but you know, that's, that's kind of the, the, the potential ceiling value on, on a deal like that where Fanmuel Reyes has blossomed into one of the better power hitters in baseball. Um, and he, he's under club control for the next, uh, several seasons, uh, through 2024. And, um, you know, he's, he's an absolute crucial part of this lineup uh, for the next few seasons. And again, we talked about, you know, trades and I did a, a, a top five trade deadline deals in Cleveland baseball history. And one of the biggest ones was CC Sabathia. And, you know, Matt Laporta was supposed to be the highlight of that trade. He was supposed to be the big slugger that kind of came out of that deal where, uh, you know, CC Sabathia went to Milwaukee, Milwaukee pitched him, Basically, not into the ground, so that's probably not fair, but they got their money's worth. Uh, he threw 130 and two-thirds innings after that trade was almost unhittable, like absolutely led them to October. Uh, but for that half of a season, I know Matt Laporta was supposed to be kind of, you know, that slugger that came out of that deal. And Fran Moraes has been that, um, actually, and probably and more. Um, you know, if not, if he would, had he not gotten hurt for several weeks, uh, you know, Fran Moraes would be, uh, you know, uh, threatening, uh, to post, um, the, well, to be the third, uh, you know, 50 homer season, the, the third player with a 50 homer season is the right way to say that. Um, you know, joining only Jim Tomey and Albert Bell. Those are the only players in, in Cleveland history who have hit 50 homers. And Reyes, without missing several weeks with an internal oblique strain, would definitely be challenging that. Um, so he's been just about everything that Cleveland could have hoped for. You know, back to, to the Matt Laporta deal. It's all, it always has to be pointed out that the player to be named later in that deal was Michael Brantley. I was going to say it. I was, I, I was waiting for you to get there. I'm like, what's your, <laughs> I, well, I thought that's where we, you were going initially. And then it took you a while to get there, but you, you mentioned it. I, I had to I had faith in you. Well, not I, really, but I, um, <laughs> yes. I mean, Michael Brantley ended up making that CC Sabathia trade look much better on Cleveland's end in hindsight. Um, and, and that's possible something like that happens, you know, in addition to Fran Moraes, uh, in relation to the Trevor Bauer trade, um, that one of the prospects, uh, that, that Cleveland acquired in that deal, uh, you know, continues to, you know, blossom into something that, you know, maybe is, is unforeseen right now. Um, but in terms of Fran Moraes, um, he's, he's absolutely one of the, uh, the more crucial parts of this lineup moving forward. Um, and it's just that scoreboard, uh, eventually. I don't know what he's going to do because he's, he's joked with Andre Knott of Valley sports uh, for years about basically since he got to Cleveland, he's had his sights set on that scoreboard and he's joked with, with Andre, not about it. And he joked one time that he like, wasn't sure what he was going to do if he ever actually hit it. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see what that, what that is if he, he ever does, which I mean, he he wasn't too far off on Wednesday. I really think I like to picture him just like rounding third and coming and scooping Andre up with him as he heads for home. I, I fully expect him to acknowledge Dre like during the home run trot, if that ever happens. I he may point to him like at first base. Like yeah. it may not even be when he's rounding third, which would be near Cleveland's dugout. They may be before that, um, but they've kind of they've been joking about that for a while um, and. It, it, it often it, it has often come up this season because he keeps getting relatively close. He he pulled this one a little too much though, but it's hard. It's also hard to say that there was anything wrong with a um, with a ball that literally left the park, not just the fence, but the park itself. 
Yeah, and really quick, I, I'm sure you just saw it come through here. The the official team Twitter account has acknowledged the Cesar Hernandez trade to the White Sox in exchange for left-hander Connor Pilkington. I think I have the last name right if I'm reading it correctly here. He's a third-round pick. in He was, was a third-round pick back in 2018. He currently leads the AA South League uh, in lowest average against, which is 173 and whip. 92, welcome to Cleveland. Connor says the message from the the team there. Yeah, so we weren't going to go into it until it was official to ensure every element was there. Um, But I will say, you know, again, Cesar Hernandez was not going to be the long-term answer. And in in dealing him to the White Sox, um, you know, kind of the one bit of, I guess, analysis or, or response to that is, is that that wouldn't happen if there was a equal offer on the table from anywhere else um, where Cleveland thinks, you know, X value of any prospect in, in, in any offer um, that they're, they're going to assign some value. And um, had there been an offer anywhere else that, that was equal to this, you know, he Cesar Hernandez certainly would not be heading to Chicago or at least at, at least the South side of Chicago. So I, I guess that that's the one bit of response to this deal that, that I've kind of had is that, you know, the, an in-division trade doesn't happen unless you really like the value that you're getting. And I, I imagine that's what we'll hear um, something along those lines when we when we hear from Chris Antonetti later today. Awesome. Well, Ryan, we did it. We we got through this without you having to run out of here to go cover more breaking news. So let's consider this a win, shall we? Let's wrap it up here. You know, we should just ramble on and just see if, if – if, if a second trade comes down the pike. I picture you sitting there writing to just the instrumental version of Welcome to the Internet, because that music is manic. And I picture I pictured you doing that on Friday when the team name change broke, and I picture you doing that the next, like, 27 hours or so. That song has been still ingrained in my head. And actually, I don't even mind it, but it's been absolutely ingrained in my head. I debated beginning this podcast by singing welcome to the trade deadline have a look around but i tried it out and it didn't it, it no it, that's not gonna happen i was um, gonna close out the podcast by saying welcome to the trade deadline so what a time what a time all right folks you can find him on twitter at by ryan lewis obviously stay locked into that i recommend setting up alerts for every time ryan tweets for the next two days here or so, just under, or yeah, just about 27 hours until the deadline hits. I can't do math. I can't. Over 27 hours? I don't know. The trade deadline is tomorrow, Friday. So set alerts for Ryan. Find him on Twitter at ByRyanLewis. Go over to BeaconJournal.com under the Cleveland Guardians tab. Check out all the news there. You can find me on Twitter at AshleyVastock42. And until next week where we might have some more trade news to talk about. I don't know. We'll see.